Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is August 17th, 2020. And as always, here with me is my friend who has a perfect catitude, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Are you feline good, April? Oh, Jen. Jen, Jen, Jen. <laughs> you are a punster extraordinaire. Yes, my friend. I'm very... That happy buzzing sound that you might hear in the background is either my satisfaction or that of our newest family edition. Do tell. Well, she doesn't quite have a name yet. We're kicking around a few ideas. She came with a name, but it we're not quite sure that's really her name. Yeah. And so we're just waiting to see, but she is adorable. And people who are on my mailing list probably saw a picture of her last week when I sent it out because she is a sweet little girl. Yes. Uh-huh. And of course, there's another one coming on Tuesday. And he is a little terror. You and Johnny will have your hands full. We have fulfilled my fondest feline dreams. (laughs) It was the most exciting part of my birthday, surpassing even the delicious carrot cake that my neighbor made for me. And yes, Johnny just gave me a little card and in it it said we could start looking for kitties. So we did. All your birthday dreams came true. All of them came true and more. Because who would have known something quite this sensational was out there? She's sitting next to me right now. She's the perfect little coworker. That's right. And I was telling you before, I think she wants to go into podcasting. She was <laughs> climbing up here and really wanting to make herself known. You'll have to take a picture of her with headphones on if she'll allow it. That would be really funny. But how perfect could it be during the Leo season to not, get not one but two new little kitties? It's very lion-esque of you. <laughs> so yeah, that's the big news here. In San Diego, and we're very, very happy. And I've been pitching a few names to you. Well, you have, and they were all lovely, because on the one hand, she seems like this very proper little lady, but she can really get in there and mix it up and play, too. But none of them feel quite right when I say them, because I had a few, too. A couple of favorite names of mine, since I'm not going to have human children. Right. I keep trying to affix some of these favorite names to our kids. It never works. They just, it's never right. You'll have fur babies instead. Yeah, you kind of have to get to know their personalities, you know. It's true. And something about the relationship that you have with them, too, needs a particular name. Naming is important. It is, and it's a very mercurial function. And I think that's Mm. appropriate, because Mercury is doing a lot this week. And Mercury is the naming planet. Mercury is the one, you know, that labels things and says, okay, you are this and you are that. Okay. Naming things is very powerful. I think you do tell a person or a pet or whatever something about what you expect of them or some quality you perceive in them. Yeah. And it gets amplified through the naming process. So I'm always fascinated by names and naming and how people got their names. Were you named for somebody in your family? I was not. My mom had read a book prior to my birth that she really liked that had my name in the title, and that's how I got named. I remember now. It Mm -hmm. was the portrait of Jenny. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah. So it's a powerful thing. So we're taking our time, and we're getting to know her. But her new little brother has a name we very much enjoy. Hopefully, it will suit him because his name is Paris. 
He's scrappy. He's very <laughs> scrappy. So <laughs> wish me luck, friends. Because I don't know what I was thinking. I'm very busy. I'm working 24-7. And, and now you have kittens. When kittens come on board, you've got to stop things from time to time. You had to keep poor Johnny, my husband, from getting completely overwhelmed since this was really my idea. Clearly, he must have been okay to go along with it. He was. Greater love has no man. Because honestly, <laughs> we take our relationship with our cats pretty seriously. And with our past cats, our last two cats, they had a lot of health problems. And when they were little, it was kind of hard to travel or do too much. And then as they got older, they had health problems that made that a little bit difficult because we both love to travel. And not only that, I married a man from the other side of the globe. So periodically, we need to get on a plane and go to New Zealand. Indeed. So we were kind of thinking, oh, when we're between cats, you know, we'll do all these travel things we've been wanting to do, go spend a couple of months in New Zealand. Well, clearly that hasn't been possible yeah. because of the pandemic. And as it is, I've been pretty patient for four months. And we figured it's either do it now or put it off forever. So here we are. Wow. But I've talked about the cats on the podcast and, and our losses over the last year and things. So it's nice to be able to get in and let people know. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's rooting you on. Well, I sure hope so. Like I said, we're going to need it. You'll have your hands full. But, well, the week begins astrologically with Mercury. As it usually does. <laughs> as it almost always does. Mercury <laughs> flitting around and doing his thing. So there's a conjunction between the Sun and Mercury. And, of course, we last had one when Mercury was retrograde. And now we have got one on August 17th, just after 8 o'clock in the morning Pacific time. And the Sabian symbol for the conjunction degree is a lovely one. It's a rainbow. I really like that. Yeah, I do too. And it goes well with another symbol we're going to reference a little later in the podcast. You know, always when we've talked about the sun with Mercury, we talk about it as an important point in the, the cycle between those two planets and about how we are perhaps a little more prone to subjectivity at the exact conjunction, however, when Mercury is what we call Kazemi, which I know we've talked about because we have an episode with that in the name. Yeah. Brilliant insights can come to us. And I like that with the Sabian symbol of rainbow, too, because you'll just be, I remember speaking of New Zealand, driving along in New Zealand out on a highway and the horizon very visible. And very suddenly, here's this rainbow. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, they do come upon us kind of suddenly sometimes. So think of the exact moment, you know, on August 17th in the morning. is a really good time for insights of that quality, insights into things that have even recently been quite obscured by other considerations and suddenly come into view. Yes. And the symbol, a rainbow, reminds me of possibility and potentiality. A rainbow, you know, oftentimes is associated with a pot of gold, which is sort of mysterious. And I also think about actually being gay. So I think about the rainbow flag, the symbol of my community, which is about social equality. Mm -hmm. Those are both symbols of potentiality to me. There's some vision attached to it of what could be possible. And I like that. I like that about the symbol. I do, too. Did I tell you the name that's the strongest contender for our little girl kitty here as of today? Indeed you did. It reminds me of this symbol. Say it, April. It's Skittles. Or they give Skittles. <laughs> Taste the rainbow. <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. I think it's very apropos. Nothing but possibilities. And with her, it's because she's a little skittish. Mm -hmm. And we always call cats that. I don't know why. So yeah, it fits in with the rainbow motif really well. For sure. But what was the thing? You, you wanted to talk about 
about the Yode. Yeah. So the other thing is the Mercury sun point are going to be two planets on the apex of a Yod, or you call it a Yod, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to call it a Yod, call it a Yod. A lot of people do. Yeah. Would you describe a Yod, please, April? It is a configuration of planets. The Sun and the Mercury are both making difficult aspects to, on the one side, Neptune, and on the other side, Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto. But the nice thing is that Neptune in Pisces works really well with Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto in Capricorn. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so a yod is difficult because it combines two aspects we call a quincunx, which are difficult because they bring together two planets that are in signs which have nothing in common. So if you consider the Sun and Mercury together in Leo and think of their relationship to Neptune and Pisces, if you know anything about those two signs, you know they don't have a lot of experiential overlap. One is a fire sign, one is a water sign. One is very ethereal and gentle, and one is very of the world and very expressive. And the two of them together, you know, we could picture some scenario in which if you shrink a lion down to the size of what's sitting next to me, <laughs> and you get that in the vicinity of some fish, you know, the cat's going to get in there and start messing around with the fish. So they're uneasy. It's an uneasy relationship. Sure. And the same is somewhat true with Leo and Capricorn, although they have a little more in common, because they're both kind of ambitious and really want to make their mark. So they have that in common. But one is full of warmth and life force, Leo, and the other one, Capricorn, is a little more pragmatic, much more earthy, a little bit on the chilly side sometimes, because it has to think pragmatically and not just expressively. So you can see you've got a lot of planets there that are kind of not jibing with each other. And what it means is we're uncomfortable a lot of the time. We find ourselves uncomfortable in a number of situations. I mean, this is really just on that day, but we're expanding on this a little bit in case this is a term you've heard of, unless you know you have a yode in your chart or whatever, and what does that mean? Right. And the way it was explained to me is you've got a whole lot of planets that are in difficult aspect to each other. They don't quite get each other, but there are some planets in that configuration who work together really well. And that's, as I said before, the ones in Pisces in this case and the ones in Capricorn. They can work together so they can help resolve the discomfort to some degree, of the quincunx. Nice. So they can find ways to work around it. The difficult thing with the quincunx aspect is one planet gets to be happy kind of at the expense of the other, and then they sort of trade back and forth, but they never get to really be comfortable together at the same time. But with the planets working behind the scenes and sex out, it says, well, yeah, but here are some innovative solutions that you guys can make the best of that and work that out. It is referred to sometimes as the finger of God, and the joke amongst astrologers is, and you know which finger we're talking about. Because, you know, I mean, on the one hand, it's like the finger pointing to you and saying, yes, this is an important part of your destiny. This is something that through sacrifice and through some discomfort and some hard work, you can bring into fruition and it can be part of your great life path. But it often feels a little bit like that other finger, you know, that's just like, oh, wow, this is just so hard. Those are my thoughts about a yod. I don't know if that helps. Absolutely. There's been a yod or two that I've talked about with people that I've done readings for. The yod is always supported by other things that are going on in the chart. For example, if it's pointing in this case to Sun and Mercury and it means one thing, usually there's other stuff happening in the chart that supports that as well. Right. Well, in the Sun, I mean, in this case, it's complicated because the Sun is always a major symbol of 
your life path and your purpose and why you're here and all of this. I think just having it as the point of a yo just means, well, that path is not going to be easily achieved. And we do get that element of sacrifice and of compromise that comes into it. And we know how much Leo loves to compromise. So yeah, August 17th could be uh, a little bit of an uncomfortable day. There was something NASA-wise, I think, something astronomical. Oh, I wanted folks to know that this is going to be a superior conjunction, which just means that Mercury is conjunct the sun on the other side of the sun from where the Earth is. Right. And that Mercury will be emerging from the morning sky and shifting into the evening sky from the glow of dusk on the western horizon around August 29th. Oh, the glow of dusk. I'll put a link to the NASA piece in the show notes. I think you should. Well, I think while we're on the subject of Mercury, although it happens a little later in the week, should we tackle this Mercury entering Virgo this week? We sure could. Yeah, go for it. That's on August 19th at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, Mercury has been in Leo since August 4th. So that gives us a couple of weeks. It's been moving pretty quickly. So it didn't spend a ton of time in Leo, but it's going into Virgo. And it's going from a sign in which it's somewhat disadvantaged, Leo, for the reasons we talked about an episode or two ago. And it's going into Virgo, which is one of the signs that it rules. So Mercury has two different dimensions, and we can see that in the signs that it rules. One is Gemini, which is the communicative processes, the acquisition of language, the encoding of information, the release of it through speech. And learning. Yeah, and learning and all the rest. Virgo has a different quality, and it shows this different expression of Virgo, which is a little more of the earth. It's a little more hands-on. And when I see people who have things in Virgo, and in particular Mercury, I think these are people who are good at acquiring skills. They're good at actually doing things that are practical and observable and are really good at learning how to organize the world and separate the wheat from the chaff and all of the rest of it. What do you think now you happen to have, Mercury, in this esteemed sign, my friend? I can totally relate to all of that. I do enjoy making a checklist. I enjoy being organized. I tend to think logically and practically. Because I have a lot of water planets as well, I can also be kind of intuitive. So I think there's some blend of that when it comes to me personally. But I do think of the Virgo planets as sort of organized and very focused on practicality and doing things in a logical order that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And they're generally big fans of things like the container store. I don't know if that's something you have in (laughs) Minneapolis, but it's big here. So Yeah, there is something like that here. There is a little plastic box just right for everything is what Virgo thinks. But I like it. You know, when you're feeling bad, go clean a drawer, as your mom would say, right? Exactly. Yeah, she with the moon in Virgo. So she knew a little bit about that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I think Gemini is really quick and loves acquiring little facts and information. But then Virgo is the quality that goes in there and kind of sorts them out and makes something. It's why you're a brilliant editor for the podcast as well, because you have to dig through and take all these little scraps and pieces of things and clean it up and organize them and get them just so, so that they make some kind of sense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the people listening are going, what does it sound like when you don't edit? You may get a chance to find that out soon. You'll find out. Yeah, yeah, we may have some news coming on that end. Anything else you think we should mention about Mercury and Virgo? I thought of a story while you were talking earlier about Virgo, and I don't know if this is Virgo or not, but one of my brother's-in-law had picked up juggling. 
he was very proud of the fact that he had learned how to juggle. And so one day he sat us down and he wanted to show Joni and I his juggling skills. And he, he started throwing the three balls in the air. And I just watched him for a while, very carefully. And then I picked up the three balls and I started juggling. And he must have wanted to throw something at you at that point. Yes. He said, you've done that before. Well, that's a perfect example. I said, I haven't. Well, Mercury rules the hands, uh, uh-huh. you know, and we'll often see people with Mercury, you know, that is strong or prominent in their chart are just naturally good at that. And I like that because that means taking physical objects and moving them around. Whereas with Gemini, it's more the wordplay. Mm. You know, and you're perfectly good at that too, but it's like a real sparkling kind of repartee thing. Yeah. Uh, Gemini people love kind of throwing conversational bubbles into the air and watching them fly mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Virgo, th- I think that's a great story. I can imagine he <laughs> wanted to kill you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh. So Mercury will be in this fine and logical and manually dexterous sign from August 19th, California time to September 5th. Enjoy that. A lot of people right now are organizing their houses and cleaning out their cupboards and all of that kind of thing. Clean out a drawer. Indeed. We also have a nice aspect between Venus and Uranus on August 18th at 12.27 p.m. Pacific time. And it's a nice sextile between them. You know, we like our sextile aspects. It's always an opportunity. Yeah, it is. And I was telling you before we started recording that of all the planetary connections you can have between Venus and Uranus, who are kind of strange bedfellows, this is one that I like a lot, the sextile. It is a friendly kind of aspect. Venus is very sociable, of course, and Uranus tends to be friendly At least it's associated with Aquarius, and Aquarius is friendly. I can't say that we can really say that Uranus is friendly. But what's suggested by this combination of the two is because there's some distance with Uranus. (laughs) Venus is like, I want to be your friend. And Uranus is like, that's great, but let's just have some breathing room here. And uh, (laughs) like, that's fine for relationships that are breezy and fun and interesting. But what it generally means in terms of being a one-day aspect on August 18th is, it's an opportunity to meet people, basically, in short. Nice. And these are difficult times for doing that. But if you have any kind of opportunity, if you want to follow up, somebody, you know, makes a post on a social media platform that you follow, and you find it interesting, go ahead and respond to them as a way of connecting. I mean, my best friend met his husband on a Facebook thread. So you can meet people in, you know, these interesting kinds of ways. And that's very Uranian because there's a distancing thing there. That makes sense. Just look for opportunities to get to know people a little better and have a little bit of fun in an interesting way on that day. Okay. Well, I am having my Venus return as we speak. Today. Yeah, as we're recording this. Venus and early cancer. Do you want to say something about what that means? Well, as you said, we're trying to collect a whole set of... uh, Collect the personal planets. Yes, personal planets, uh, (laughs) planetary returns. Well, we've talked a lot now about various kinds of returns. We did Saturn returns. We did lunar returns. Very recently, we talked about solar returns. Indeed, we did. Yeah, so everybody by now has the general idea of what a return is. It means a planet has completed a cycle around the sun. And specifically, it refers to Venus in my birth chart, in this case, and the exact longitudinal degree in minute. And when it gets back to that point, I have a Venus return, which is a little under a year between returns. Then you get a reset 
of the Venus cycle, the Venus principle in your life. It's a new cycle of pursuing the things that bring you pleasure, which will be of the nature of the sign that Venus was in at your birth. These are the things that tend to make you feel good and bring you pleasure and the places where you want to just kind of enjoy yourself and do a little shopping, you know. (laughs) I hate to shop. I just said this in something last week, I think, that I wrote, that I hate to shop, but I love to shop for my house. I have Venus in Cancer, so I will spend money on the place where I live. It's significant to some degree. It's not one of your big major returns you'll look at. But again, you can look at the chart for the moment that that return happens in the place where you're living. It'll tell you a little something about the year ahead with regard to things like relationship and money and having a good time. What's been helpful for me when we think about return charts is something you said way early on. I don't remember which episode it was, but it's a Venus-focused chart. Yeah. I mean, it seems very simple, but you maybe said that about Saturn returns or something, that it's just a chart focused on that planet. Yeah. So you look at the house that it's in, and that gives you a lot of information about the focus of the period of time coming up until the next return happens. Right. And I think that's a really helpful way to think about it. Yeah. And you might look at it, for instance, I'll go and look at that chart today. Now that we've spoken about it and it's dawned on me, and I'm having a Venus right here. <laughs> Let me know what you find out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe I want to look at that chart and see what I think about the year ahead. They probably have little kittens in it, you know, right. instead of planetary glyphs. Whiskers coming out of the planet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Jen, that brings us to Moonwatch. Moonwatch. <laughs> Play it. <laughs> There's a little bit more of a mellow song there. It really was. Well, I'm feeling kitten mellow. And she looked up when I did that. She was not digging my soprano warblings there. No, maybe she loved it. Well, maybe she did. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't quite see her face, just her little fat belly here. She yeah. was meowing at you to say, thanks, Mom. Yes, and it is a new moon in Leo. 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 <laughs> What if I couldn't sing? (laughs) Yeah, what if you couldn't? It'd be a whole different podcast, wouldn't it? Everyone's going, you can't sing. (laughs) Please stop. I know. They're saying it would be exactly the same podcast if you two couldn't sing. All right. It's a new moon at 26 degrees and 35 minutes of Leo. It's on August 18th, the same day as the Venus-Uranus sextile. But later that evening, 7.42 p.m. Pacific time. So in most places, it's actually going to be August 19th. And it's a beautiful Sabian symbol for this one. We love it. It really is. And it's very simple. It's just daybreak. And we were musing about it before we started to record and thinking how lovely it was with that sun-mercury Sabian symbol, the rainbow. Yeah, there's kind of a mystery to this symbol, too. Yeah. What is laid out before you is the unknown. There's a sense of possibility. Yeah, it's a new day ahead. Yeah, it holds so much potential. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, you know, potential for happiness or for dread. Oh, boy. It just depends on the day. <laughs> we were talking about those difficult aspects from the Sunday, everything. Oh, yeah. But no, it's actually not a bad chart at all. Oh, good. Yeah, I love that symbol for daybreak, especially because it's Leo. And Leo is ruled by the sun. Yes. At its best. And I don't meet this most days, but I have a strong Saturn in my chart. But a strong embodiment of Leo brings sunshine to the world to the day, to the situation that they walk into. It's a very warm, cheerful sign, and it's everything that we would hope at the beginning of a day, at daybreak, is to have that sense of warmth and possibility and joy as we begin the day. So the point of the new moon, the sun and the moon together at 26 of Leo, 
is making this lovely trine aspect to Mars and is sextile the North Node. There is this sense of the new moon guiding our actions and our activities, which I like, because Mars in this chart makes this difficult square to Saturn. So we're still, it's so frustrating to have Mars trying to speed its way through Aries, and we're just not able to make a lot of progress in a lot of things because we keep stumbling over things like, you know, a square to Pluto that we had last week or a square to Saturn, which we're having this week. Mars not playing right with Saturn is a really hard one because it means no matter how hard you try and how much work you do, there's something that keeps coming up and stopping you in your tracks. And again, the challenge with an aspect like that one is to keep trying. Just keep putting one foot in front of another. If something doesn't work, you got to try to find the thing that will. And your resolve will be tested in the things you want to do. But what is so nice is this new moon point that is trining the Mars, that's giving it hope and giving it warmth and cheer and saying, you know, I know things are tough right now. And this thing you're trying to do feels really hopeless. But I'm here to tell you, it's a new day and everything's possible. Hmm. That's really nice. Yeah. And the sextile to the north node from the new moon point, I think, as well, says you're on the right track and you're doing the right things. It's just the timing is such that it's going to be harder. And we don't talk about it a lot every week now, but, you know, there is a stinking pandemic going on and a lot of things are still closed down. Yeah. And I think that is really being symbolized by that Mars squared to all those Capricorn planets while it's trying to make its way through Aries. It's a nice new moon. I think if we have been waiting for a moment to try to get a toehold in something new that we want to do, this is a really hopeful time for that. And it won't go completely smoothly. But also the way to work with Mars with Saturn is to do kind of what you were talking about before, Jen, which is, you know, you make lists, you get organized, you come up with a strategy and with a plan of action. And that makes Saturn happy. Saturn likes hard work. Yes. It insists on it, in fact. Mm -hmm. So if he could see that Mars will settle down and stop moving so fast and come up with a plan. And, you know, it's like your teacher used to say, on we took an exam, show your work. Uh You have to show your work. (laughs) Your math teacher, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Saturn would say, okay, Mars, show your work. All right. That is our new moon in Leo, and I sure like the look of it. It looks really lovely, and I like the way that you described it all. Yeah. I want to mention to people that we are going to include a new little feature on our podcast webpage, which is at BigSkyAstropod.com. We are just going to include an extra little spot in there that will be a little news feed to show latest articles. Jen is going to be contributing something for the Leo Newman, which is a lovely essay that I hope you'll all go over and read. Oh, thanks, April. Yeah. Yeah, it's an essay I wrote. The focus, just so folks know, is on my nephew who died unexpectedly last November. And I think that's all I'll say right now, except to say that it's very appropriate for Leo because I did write it from the heart. And so if folks want to read it, they can go to BigSkyAstropod.com and find it there. I'm guessing it'll be posted around, what, the 17th or 18th, probably, huh, April? Yeah, definitely. Then as time goes on, we'll just be bringing you breaking news about various things that we're doing or my latest articles or whatever. So be sure to go over and take a look at that. Very nice. Yes. And finally, 
we have got the sun going into Virgo on August 22nd at 8.45 a.m. Okay, more Virgo energy incoming. Yay for Virgo. I love Virgo. Oh, I do too. I will hear nothing against our friend Virgo. Hey, how many of my planets are in Virgo? About 10 of them. A metric ton, <laughs> at least. And I've got Mars there and Pluto in the midheaven. I'm a big fan. I love Virgo's work. Oh, yeah. So sun entering Virgo brings us into the season of harvest. It's kind of that time where you're, you know, you've planted all your things and you've tended them the best you could and you've hoped for the best and you've negotiated with the beasts and pests, you know. Just leave us a few tomatoes in our garden. That's all we ask for. You can have the rest. <laughs> and you take everything inside and you're kind of sorting through it and you're washing it. And you're saying, oh, this one, the bugs have gotten to this one. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to compost this one. Oh, no, this is really beautiful. And evaluating if you have a whole section of tomatoes that did great and another section that did nothing. You're like, well, what did I do differently in this section that then I could apply to this other one next time? Virgo is very much about that task of separating the wheat from the chaff, separating what's viable from what isn't, and figuring out what you can actually do, what adjustments you can make to make it work better next time. So Virgo is the season of adjustment. It is innately a quincunx sign. We started out this talk talking about the quincunx aspect, the 150-degree aspect. And Virgo is of the nature of a quincunx. Nothing is never quite right for Virgo. It's easy and facile to say something like, oh, Virgo is so picky. It's much deeper than that. Virgo has a vision for how it wants things ideally to be. And sometimes that isn't possible. And that's a heck of a way to live when you know that perfection's never completely possible. And you have to live with that tension between your ideal. Virgo is actually a very idealistic sign. We don't often think of it that way. But it's because it has the ideal of perfection, that perfection is something that you can shoot for and maybe on a good day attain. But it doesn't always work that way, right? Yeah. And it's never going to be quite good enough. Virgo can always see the little thing that needs to be tweaked. That there's value and improvement. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if we think of it in terms of why we are here, you know, if you're a person who philosophically is inclined to think about concepts like reincarnation or living many lives, it would make a lot of sense to this Virgo idea of trying to improve oneself, getting better and better. Makes sense in this lifetime. And it's interesting, this is the time of year two, here in the United States at least, that kids normally will go back to school in the Virgo season. And part of it's exciting if you're a good student. And part of it is kind of misery because you've been all free all summer. You haven't had the same kind of constraints on your time and the same kind of routines. And suddenly, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to put my school clothes on and trudge off and sit in a classroom all day and focus on what people told me to focus about. And again, to learn, to become better and smarter, hopefully. So that's the season of Virgo. What are your thoughts? Well, although now kids, a lot of kids will be Zooming for school, right? Because mm -hmm. they won't personally be gathering because of the pandemic. It'll be a very different Virgo season for a lot of kids at school. I mean, doesn't it seem worse in a way? Because so many of us are doing so much Zooming these days. Yeah. So true. And you feel like you're living your whole life in a little 10-inch square at best, as opposed to at least having the stimulation and input of all your fellow students. You pointed out that in episode 10 of this podcast, Neptune and the Zen of Groundhog Day, 
we chatted a little bit about that polarity of Virgo and Pisces. We did. And the movie Groundhog Day, which we love. Yes, we love that. So folks can go back and re-listen to that if they want to hear a few more thoughts about this. Speaking of reincarnation. Yeah, I would just go back and listen again and again and again. You're doomed to listen to episode 10 again and again. Over and over. But we welcome the sun in Virgo. I mean, back on the farm, it was such a beautiful time of year. And everything feels all golden and mm. combines running and things. It's my favorite month. Yes, it really? Mm, I love September in Minneapolis. It's really beautiful here. The leaves start changing mm. colors and it's just gorgeous. Oh, Already in September, huh? Well, towards the end of September, but yeah, it starts getting cooler weather-wise. Must be nice. The leaves start changing, and it's just beautiful. Here, it's the hottest month of the year, usually. Mm. It's hot and humid and dreadful. It's just awful, September. Yeah. And then in October, we get Santa Ana winds, these really hot, dry winds off the desert, and then we start getting brush fires. So September and October, I traditionally, I love October. It's my favorite season because if we get any kind of weather in San Diego, it's going to start tail end of October around Halloween. October's beautiful too. I love October. Yeah. Where I grew up, it really was pretty. I'm going to pick September 15th through October 15th. That's my favorite month right there. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Nobody says it has to be a mother one. Right. Good for you. That's very Sun Uranus innovative of you, Jen. Yeah. Your Sun Uranus pal. Yes. Well, my friends, that is everything on the show sheet, I believe. Have we done it? We've done it. Episode 39. Yes. We've done it. Well, thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate it and review it. And we hope that you'll help us spread the word by telling a friend or sharing it on social media or the like. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider making a contribution to support the show. Go to BigSkyAstropod.com and you can help keep the podcast going for as little as a dollar. Yes! Or hey, kick in $39, one for each episode. Ooh. How about that? Big ask. How about that? I think you're very bold, Jennifer. You're very bold. I am nothing if not bold. Excellent. Well, join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Oh,